Welcome to Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast, hosted by Andy Baldacci. Each week, Andy interviews a successful agency owner who shares their proven strategies to help you build and grow your agency. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to episode number 59 of Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Baldacci, and today I'm talking with Carl Sakis of Sakis & Company, who shares how to take the next step forward in your leadership and management journey. Carl helps agencies grow without the usual pains. In working with dozens of agencies, he has learned that while you don't need to be a great manager to start an agency, you better become one if you don't want everyone to quit. That being said, becoming a great manager, whether of a single team or a team of teams, is really hard. To help make it a little bit easier, Carl put together Made to Lead, a pocket guide to help build effective managers of marketing creative teams. In the increasingly competitive agency world, one of the biggest differentiators is the quality of your team. Today, Carl is here to share the lessons he has learned and how you can apply them at your agency to produce better results for your clients and keep your people happy. Even if you don't think you're a natural when it comes to management, I'm confident you'll get some valuable tips out of this interview. So without further ado, here's Carl. Carl, thanks so much for coming on the show. Andy, great to be back. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be talking to you today. And I was looking through, following along with your blog, and I saw that you're putting out a new book, Made to Lead. So I really want to reach out, talk to you about that. And so you actually just published this back in November, I think. And so it's Made to Lead, a pocket guide to managing marketing and creative teams. How did this whole project come about? came out of my experience as an agency consultant where I found that a lot of clients as agency owners were struggling with managing their teams and managing their agencies as a whole. And my thesis for the book is you don't have to be a great manager to start an agency, but you better become a great manager if you don't want everyone to quit. I mean, I, th I think that's a really salient point because so many agency owners are what what I, I the term I like to use is accidental agency owners. They got into it from freelancing, and slowly as they got more and more clients, they they started expanding. They looked around a few years later, they have a, a team of three to five people, and their job has entirely changed in the managing aspect. The managing people is hugely important to the continued success of an agency. In the early days, what, what was it that when, when working with clients or just seeing into the agency world, what was it that jumped out at you and made you realize this was such a, a big issue for agency owners? Thinking about your concept of accidental agency owners, I would say that a lot of accidental agency owners turn into what I would call reluctant managers. That is, they are managing people, but they don't really enjoy it, and, and almost they want to kind of deny that they are a manager or a boss. I, I had a client running an agency with about 10 people or so, and she said that the idea of managing people to her felt gross. She said it felt gross, and you know that that's a challenge because not only did she not like it, it, it just felt wrong, yet she had people reporting to her. She was a manager whether she liked it or not. Yeah, it doesn't matter how it makes you feel. Like at a certain point, that is going to become your job. Exactly. And and certainly if you don't enjoy it, there are a lot of things you can do to make it easier. One of them certainly is having different shortcuts and different tools so that it's not quite as painful. And that's where the book comes in. What is it about managing people that does kind of create so much reluctance in marketing creative people in the agency world in, in that space, why do you think it is so difficult to manage people? 
Everyone's experience as a manager is different. It comes down to your personality and behavioral preferences. But one way to look at it is a concept called warmth and competence. This is a concept that comes from a book called The Human Brand by Chris Malone and Susan Fisk. And in the book, they look at this idea of warmth and competence. And the idea is that warmth is do you make people feel special? Do do you make them feel appreciated, whether that's your customers or your employees? And then competence is are you getting the job done? Are you getting results? And I found that people tend to skew toward either warmth or competence. There are some people who are really good at both, but people tend to lean one way or the other. So if you're a manager, for instance, if you're really good at warmth, you know, everyone likes you, uh, you know, you probably like them. But if you're not focused on competence, you may not be getting results. You know, everyone has has a great time uh, up until the day that you declare bankruptcy. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, on the flip side, you know, maybe your your focus is competence. You know, everything's going really smoothly, but no one's enjoying it. I, I share in the in the intro to the book in Made to Lead. You know, my natural tendency is toward the results side, toward toward competence. And in a 360 review several years ago, the feedback I got from past colleagues was good at getting things done, not at making it fun. Sobering feedback. Yeah. How and, did you how did you handle that? Once when you got that feedback, what did you do to to change? Well, certainly at first I was I was kind of shocked and stunned to hear it. It was pretty blunt feedback. As one of the other participants in the leadership retreat said uh, about my situation, you can't be a leader if no one wants to follow you. As I thought about it, I was like, well, this makes sense. I, I am focused all on results. And as a result, I, I've reached out to people since then who may, may be naturally better at the warmth side of things and build that in along with, along with finding ways to almost mechanically build in warmth. You know, so at the beginning of a conversation with, with a colleague, I, you know, I'm going to ask how their day is going, how their week is going. That may not be my natural tendency, but I realize it's important. I also keep an eye out for things going on in people's lives. So whether it's sending birthday cards or through a, a marketing association, I'm president of AMA Triangle, the American Marketing Association. We've had some cases where people have had some setbacks in their in their lives, and I have a process for that, which is I'll stop by the farmer's market, pick up a really nice bouquet. I've got a set of $1.99 vases from the thrift shop stocked up on those, and I drop off flowers. And, and you know, it shows that, that I care as their manager and shows that as an organization we care. So I mean, that, that's a case of I, I also have a, a drawer full of, of uh, greeting cards, sympathy cards, birthday cards, so on. So ultimately, I found a way to kind of mechanically use the competence side to help inform the warmth side. And so is that usually the, the approach you suggest to people? It's, it's not so much that you either have only one or the other of warmth or competence and you can never get the other. It's that one just comes easier, so you need to be more deliberate about the other. Is that how you think about it? Uh, correct. So, for instance, I had, a, I had a call earlier today with a client in Toronto who is my opposite. She's great at warmth and and making sure the team's having a good time. But one of the things she'll struggle with is confronting people when they're not performing. Part of my role as as the business coach is to help her stay on track and help stay 
help her stay accountable and keeping others accountable. But that also includes finding ways to navigate things. You know, it, it the, the goal is ultimately to focus on helping people improve. One of the things you can do is tell your team before you share constructive or, or critical feedback, you can frame it as you are, you want to coach them to be the best employee possible, whether you know, hopefully it's here at our agency, but it may be, you know, elsewhere at some point in your in your future, in your career. And I'm sharing this because I want to help you do better. That makes it a lot easier for people to take than you screwed up. Right. And and one thing you, you mentioned in the book, and I think it's directly related to this warmth versus competence uh, question, is you talked about balancing productivity with morale. And in striking that balance without either, because you don't want to be pushing too hard and only focus on getting results above anything else, because you do also want to make sure that people feel cared about, feel happy, they, they want to show up to their job every day. So how do you strike that balance as a manager? A starting place is to have clear goals for your team. When you have clear goals about where you're going and, and beyond that, that also gets into your values, how you operate as an organization, people have a clear idea of where you're going. They can make better decisions day to day without you having to be involved in a, a micromanager way. They can make better decisions on their own and bring you in when things need to escalate. As a result, that helps on the productivity side. If people know where they're going, they can be productive, whereas if people – have no idea what's going on. They're going to be sitting there at their desk making up what to do because they, do, they don't know. Uh, certainly from a morale perspective, when people know where they're going, you can celebrate when people hit goals. Uh, for instance, in my marketing association, I have a, a team of ultimately about 15 direct reports and a total of nearly 100 volunteers total uh, across the various various pieces of the group. We have a Volunteer of the Month award, and then also as president, I have what I call the Lantern Award. It is an antique railroad lantern from from early from the the 20th century, early 20th century, and I'll give that each month to people who are best living the values of the organization. And it's an opportunity to call out people who are, are performing well. So ultimately, that that reinforces productivity, but it's good for morale for, for them, the recipient each month, and also for the rest of the team. And part of that process, by the way, with the Lantern Award is that each recipient writes an inspirational quote on the Lantern itself in a, a Sharpie and then reads their quote at the, the next monthly meeting for the team. So – Re reinforces people practicing the values. Mm -hmm. And I, I think this gives us a good idea of sort of the struggles that many people in agencies go through when coming into a uh, management role or when it's just they realize they're in one and they need to start being more deliberate about the process. And so in the book, you split it up into how to become an effective manager. You split it up into five different parts. Do you want to work through those? Yeah, absolutely. The first one that you mentioned was attitude and acceptance. Can you speak to that? Managing is a lot easier when you understand what your job is. There's often, on the acceptance side, there's often the sense when people get promoted, if you're, say you've been a designer and you are now a creative director, if you're a creative director, you're doing way less design, or if you came on the writing side, way less writing 
than in the past because you're now managing people. Your job is to get the best possible results from your team rather than do all the work yourself. And that can lead to a feeling of a sense of loss. You know, you may go through the the grieving process in the sense that you don't get to spend all day in Illustrator or Photoshop or or your word processor anymore. That's the acceptance piece, realizing that when you're a manager, your job is now to get results through other people and to help them reach their full potential, get their best work done. So it's even if this isn't the role you originally signed up for or wanted, you're accepting that this is what the role is now. Exactly. And and that I, I think is more of a formal process when you get promoted when you're an employee of somewhere else. You know, in the sense that your boss is saying, We want to promote you to do this. Do you want it? You have the option to choose it or not. Whereas when you're running an agency, especially if you are an accidental agency owner or leader, you've kind of stumbled into it. At at this point, you know, it's not just doing the subject matter work that you did before, whether it's marketing strategy or development or design or writing or PR. Now you are running the business and you're having to make sure everything gets done, handle client service, handle sales, handle recruiting, handle firing people sometimes, even you know, buying the uh, buying the toilet paper or making sure someone bought the toilet paper. That's true. And that's something that as accidental agency owners, when they look around and realize that they have built a team and their role has changed, they don't necessarily have the option of immediately saying, this isn't what I wanted. But I, I think this is why it's important for agency owners of any size to try to ask themselves these questions of what do they want earlier on so that they don't just accidentally create circumstances that they later on can't change. Like if you don't want to ever manage people, that's okay, but you probably shouldn't build an agency. If you are running a business, you are going to be managing people to some extent by definition. Uh, Occasionally I, I get inquiries from potential clients asking, you know, okay, so I've got my agency. I want to get myself out of, uh, you know, out of all day to day. But you know what? I, I really, I'd like to work, uh, you know, four hours a week. Uh, and my response to that is, well, I, I don't really know any agency owners who are working only four hours a week. But if they did, that would be because they're paying a six-figure salary to a general manager to run everything. So if you've got the money go for it. You can now be the the chairperson of your agency, but there's not a magic solution. Yeah. And I think that's important to accept and try to remove some of that kind of accidental attitude and just being a little bit more deliberate and accepting and recognizing how roles can change as your agency grows, as your team grows, as your, your focus changes, any of those types of things. And, and for the next part, you mentioned it a bit um, earlier on. You talked about creating the best employee. Can you speak about the coaching and development part of being a manager? Your job as a manager is to get results through other people, and that ultimately means having your team be as productive and happy as possible, uh, within reason, of course. When it comes to hiring, there are, are two general strategies for hiring. You know, One is to hire junior people develop them so that you've got mid experience and then and then very experienced people later that takes a lot of time you know it's cheap up front but it takes a lot of time and the alternative is to 
in, instead of growing talent, it's to to steal it, as it were. That is to uh, to hire people that have experience somewhere else. Either it can work as a strategy, but you know, ultimately, if people have experience or skills that you need, or but they don't have them yet, in that case, you're going to have to help them get there. Right. How do you recommend helping them get there? Start by identifying where you want them to be, and then assess what the gaps are. For instance. Maybe you've got someone who is a, an art director and you want to promote them to eventually become a creative director. It depends on the size of your agency. But as a creative director, you know that they're going to be doing a variety of things. One is they are managing junior creatives. So there's a, a management piece. Another piece is typically creative directors are selling the strategy to clients to, to some degree. You know, thinking like, uh, you know, sort of the traditional example would be Don Draper in Mad Men in the TV show, whereas the creative director, you know, maybe his underlings have developed the the overall strategy, but it's his job to persuade the clients to sign on. Uh, and, you know, there, there may be some other pieces as well, but, you know, let's say the uh, you, your art director doesn't have management experience and they don't have presentation experience. Well, great. You can fix that. For instance, maybe you want to put them in charge of overseeing some or all of your freelancers. They're going to pick up management experience in, in, in less of a critical way than if suddenly they're managing full-time people. <laughs> Make smaller tests that if they do fail, it's not going to cause any lasting repercussions that you can't really recover from. Exactly. And when it comes to speaking, for instance, say if they need to improve their presentation skills, there's certainly a lot of components to that. But I would start by sending them to a presentation training so that they can get some of the basics down and then find ways for them to be increasingly involved in client pitches and client presentations. They don't need to start with the whole the whole presentation, but maybe there's a particular component and then you can use that sort of a ride-along situation, you can share coaching feedback afterwards about what worked, what didn't work, and what they can do differently next time. Do you think someone can be a successful manager if they don't enjoy coaching or training others? I think they can be a successful manager to a point, but they're probably going to hate coming to work every day. I, I, so I, I don't think that's sustainable. If you're in a situation where you've realized that managing people just is not for you, you need to find a way to get yourself in a position where you're not managing and running an agency may not be the right fit or you may have a circumstance where you've got a business partner who is good at that and enjoys that. In that case, perhaps you should be doing more of the, the back office activities. It almost comes back to what you were talking about a little bit ago about the level of experience that you hire for. And if maybe it's not all of managing that that is a problem for you, but it's really just investing all of that time into training and development, that could be where it makes sense to hire more experienced people. But like you said, there is still going to always be some level of of coaching and development needed though. So it's going to be tough to find that balance if it's not something that you truly enjoy doing. Exactly. One thing that is always not necessarily a hot button issue, but I know that people just resist when it comes to managing, especially creatives is the 
shift to now, all right, we have to have meetings. We need to have all this extra communication. We have to do so much more stuff that's not directly related to doing the work. How do you recommend managers approach the meetings and communication aspect of management? A couple things to consider. First, I, occasionally I'll have people say, I was in meetings all day. I didn't have any time to get any work done. Well, if you're a manager, meetings are part of your job. If you're in a meeting, you are doing your job. So there's a bit of a reset there. It's also worth considering that as a manager, you're typically the person leading or organizing or facilitating some way the meeting, which is an enormous amount of power and also a great opportunity. You know, we've all been to meetings that were terrible, right? Uh, Whether or not we had a, a buzzword bingo sheet you know, hearing people saying synergy too many times, you know, th- th- things like that. When you're running the meeting, you have an opportunity to improve the quality of life of everyone else on your team. That requires doing some planning and that requires working harder before the meeting to make it better for everyone else. For every agency, regardless of how they price, that is, they could price on an hourly basis, they could price on a milestone basis or on a value-based basis, ultimately, every agency's inventory is their team's time. And so the better you can be from an efficiency perspective with your team's time, the better off your agency will will be financially and and morale-wise. If you've got a meeting that lasts two hours and it should have only been an hour, you just wasted everyone's time. But importantly, that's that's an extra hour per person that they could have been billing out to clients, uh, assuming this was an internal meeting. So plan ahead, make the meetings as effective as possible. That also includes finding ways to make things happen outside of the meetings. You know, if you've ever been in a meeting where you've got a bunch of people and two people in the meeting effectively having what is a two-person conversation in front of 20 other people. The person leading the meeting needs to say, you know, that's a great topic. Why don't you why don't you cover that offline? Because every minute they're spending, that's a minute that everyone else is losing that that they don't need to be there. The other piece is having an agenda before every meeting. You know, that seems simple, but if you go to a meeting without an agenda, unless everyone happens to be extremely clear on what needs to happen, you're likely to waste time. There are times that it's okay for a meeting to meander. You know, if you're at the beginning of the meeting and you're doing the sort of socializing, catching up piece, that's that's fine if, if people are spending time on that. Eventually, you need to draw it toward the more productivity side of the meeting. Uh, Ultimately, it's about making intentional choices during the meeting. You want to avoid a situation. You you may have seen the the novelty ribbon online. Uh, It's like a a blue ribbon for for a prize ribbon. Uh, And the ribbon says, I survived another meeting that should have been an email. If you've got info at the meeting, don't waste time in the meeting going around saying, Here's my update on this. Okay, here's so-and-so update on this. No, everyone should write it down ahead of time in a document that everyone reads and then talk about questions and actionables, not the update itself. Right. If you can get that information outside of the meeting, do so. So you can come into the meeting as prepared as possible because, like you said, it's not just a couple people in the meeting. It's an entire team oftentimes. And when one person is talking, everyone else is still sitting there listening and it's not actually contributing anything and it's costing the company 
there's a big opportunity cost there. Exactly. I, I feel like managers often can go one way or the other where they they micromanage on one end and the other is they just leave employees entirely to their own devices. Obviously, some balance is ideal, but how do you try to strike that balance? You'll want to modulate that based on each person's experience doing what you've asked them to do. You know, if it's something they've never done before, it probably makes sense to have more check-ins along the way. Whereas if it's something that they're doing every month and they've been doing it for three years, uh, you probably don't need quite that same level of, of oversight. Uh, to the point about avoiding micromanaging, I mean, no one likes being micromanaged. I, I guess some people like doing the micromanaging. But I, I will say, especially if you're a reluctant manager, you may feel like, well, you know, I signed it to them, but I, I don't want to check in with them because that's going to come across as micromanagement. It's okay to have pre-scheduled check-ins. You know, say someone is working on a month-long project. It probably makes sense, and, and it's something fairly new, probably makes sense to have a check-in one week in, maybe another check-in three weeks in, and, and then finally review the final result. That way you have an opportunity early on to help them if they're getting off track. And then finally, if something isn't quite aligned toward the end, then they've still got a week to fix it. So having all these structures helps the team be more productive because you don't get have too many meetings that get in the way of work, but you don't have too little communication that you have no idea what's going on and things fall through the cracks. And that kind of just all hell breaks loose. So this gives it the structure. But how then do you go from there to make sure the work actually gets done? And both from the motivation standpoint that the people want to do the work and are willing to do the work and also from the accountability standpoint that it's actually done and done to the standards that you require. In that case, it comes down to executing the process. You know, you've got your framework, you've got your structure. Uh, for instance, you're working on something, your team's working on something. Make sure that people are padding the schedule to allow extra lead time. You know, for instance, you think it'll be done tomorrow, but something could come up. Make sure the team is telling the client, we'll have it done in two days so that if something comes up, you're good to go. And if you get it done faster, well, you've just managed to over-deliver. So that, that's a piece in terms of, of human nature. If you find that people keep asking you how to do something, I think you need to recognize, well, maybe we need to create a new process for this or a new system. Uh, the idea that if, if people keep asking you what time it is, build them a clock because they can look at the clock to see what time it is rather than asking you. You know, Ultimately, you're looking for ways to make yourself as an agency leader needed but not necessary. That is, you, you couldn't disappear for a year and things would still get done. But you know what? If you want to go on uh, – I had a few clients who took one-month sabbaticals last year. Or even if it's just going on vacation for a week, you need to make yourself needed but not necessary so you can step away. And that includes finding opportunities to help help your team members, help your employees get better at their job. You know, A lot of times if you're a manager, you know how to do the work faster than your employees. That, that's not always true. Eventually, they should be much better at it than, than you are, but at least at least initially. Yet there's often a reluctance, I found, where, where managers are thinking, well, I don't have time to train them how to do that because it'll take longer than if I just did it. Well, that's true the first time. You know, the first time you explain it, yes, it is going to take longer. But if your goal is to make yourself needed but not necessary, 
take the time, invest the time to get them trained, and then they're going to do it every time after that. So you don't have to be involved or you're way less involved than if you're doing it yourself. Right. The, t- the time savings are compounded. Exactly. Exactly. I, and then an- another – one other thing to consider is the, the power of saying thank you. You know, the idea that saying thank you is free. I have, in addition to the the various greeting cards and the the thrift shop vases for flower deliveries, I also have note cards that I send to to team members, both for my agency consulting work and in my volunteer management work for the marketing association. And you know, just sending a quick note. It's a small thing for you as the manager, yet it makes a big difference to them. I, I still have a card on my refrigerator from years ago as an employee, a note from my boss about how how helpful I was in, in solving a particular situation uh, and, and how much it, it meant to her. It's still on my refrigerator. You know, I, I, I had uh, a case with, with the volunteer group where – I sent a note, I sent a thank you note to one of the volunteers based on work she had done to organize an event for the marketing association. And she followed up and she said, I've been working in marketing for 20 years. I've never received a thank you note from a boss before. How much time did it actually take you to do? Not not long. I mean, you know, if, if we're going to say five minutes to, to write the note, double look up what her mailing address was, you know, have some stamps handy so you can do stamp it. And then I just dropped it off on, on my way to, to somewhere else. It took very little time, yet it made a huge impact for her. And I think if, if someone, you know, for people who are listening and they're like, ah, management, I, you know, I have to do it. When you're a manager, you have a unique opportunity to improve or worsen the lives of everyone working for you. You know, if you think about, you know, th- think about your best manager over the years. You know, I, I think w- one of my best managers was focused on helping everyone be the the best they could be, recognizing maybe that meant them going to work for another agency. You know, and th- and that was okay. That that focus on helping people and putting others first really stands out, and that that's great for loyalty. It's great for productivity. Keep in mind that that you have opportunities every day to make life easier for your team. It, it's harder than being a mediocre manager. It's harder to be a good or, or a great manager, but the payoff is worth it. Right. It's that extra effort to be good or great rather than mediocre. In my opinion, it's, it's going to pay – a disproportionate return just by putting in, like you said, those extra five minutes there for those notes, those types of extra efforts really do significantly pay off if you can consistently make them. Exactly. It's like if you're already doing the minimum, just do a little bit more and you're just going to get such a better result in the end. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you were to do one thing, go to Amazon and order a box or two of thank you notes. It's going to take you three minutes right now. Maybe less if you have one-click ordering enabled, and the cards are going to arrive, and then, boom, the next time you think of a, of a chance to thank someone, now there is nothing stopping you but yourself. I think that covers a lot of the motivation side of things, and I think having the deadlines 
and having all of that, having some structure also gives a, a framework for accountability. But if someone is consistently not performing, even if you're doing your best to coach, even if you're doing your best to help develop them, how do you do you handle situation when it's clear that something needs to change? You want to warn people verbally first if someone's not doing what you need. A, a formal PIP, performance improvement plan, is an escalation after your verbal or perhaps email warnings have not worked. Uh, but ultimately, the point is you need to take action. If someone's not doing what you need them to do, you've got to call it out because they're not going to change it unless you call it out and explain what you need instead. So a PIP gives you a formal framework for that. I have a PIP template available for download on my website. I can share a, a link to that for the show notes. Uh, ultimately, the, the point is you, you do need to take action. Sometimes people turn it around. Other times people realize themselves, you know what, they don't want to do the work it's going to take or, or they may not be ready to, to turn it around and they choose to resign. Uh, and sometimes people try and it's just not working. And in that case, you may eventually need to fire them. Mm -hmm. At what point do you decide, okay, I've spoken to them about this. Uh, they haven't made improvements. How bad, I guess, does it need to get for you to say a PIP is necessary? I would see it as part of the escalation process. So if you've done verbal comments and they haven't reacted to those, and then you've emailed a couple times and they haven't reacted to those at that point they don't seem to get how important it is to fix this and that's where the pip comes in okay so it's, it's when you've done your best to make it clear not just the severity of the issue but also how to improve it and that hasn't changed the pip comes in and makes it very very clear and spells everything out the implication of the PIP, and certainly you speak with your agency's attorney to confirm specific language for your circumstances, but the implication of the PIP ultimately is, you know, I want you to fix this, but if you don't, I may be terminating you. I'm going to stop Carl right there for a quick word from our sponsor, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. The Agency Advantage podcast is brought to you by Hubstaff. Hubstaff makes time tracking software for remote teams so you can stop tracking time with spreadsheets and start getting the insights into how your team is spending their time that only screenshots and in-depth reports can give you. You probably know that by now, but what you may not know is that we recently launched a platform called Hubstaff Talent that makes it easy for you to find and hire high-quality freelancers around the world. Whether you just need extra hands for a specific project or you're looking for something long-term, Hubstaff Talent is what you need. Best of all, it's 100% free. We don't take a cut and we don't act as a middleman. Our goal is for you to use Hubstaff for time tracking, but you're not required to do so. If you're looking to grow your team with remote freelancers and don't want to pay big fees to Upwork, head over to talent.hubstaff.com today and create a free profile for your agency and start posting your jobs. That's talent.hubstaff.com. All right, let's get back to Carl. Honestly, you've, you've given us a ton to think about as managers, as agency owners. These management things, like you said, if you don't properly manage your team, they're not going to stick around because the manager does have a huge role in not just the success of the business, but in people's lives and how happy they are. And if someone just dreads coming into work every day, they're not going to keep coming into work. How do we put all this together as an agency owner and start applying this in our own agency? 
Well, certainly I, I would encourage them to buy the, the Made to Lead book, Pocket Guide to Managing Marketing and Creative Teams. It it literally is a pocket guide. It will fit in your pocket. Uh, it's, it's four by seven inches if you're on uh, American measurement systems. Uh, I've had people say they've read it in 20 or 30 minutes. It It is short. It is bite size. It's 31 tips, each of them on on you know fitting on one page plus some things to tie things together and it and it works as a reference you know you can read it really fast and then you can go back to it as you need it so that's certainly starting point i i'd also encourage them to sign up for my newsletter for agency leaders if you're thinking about what's what's one thing you could do right now i would say think about what you've heard on the podcast today Think about one of the tips and, and whether it's a tip that we've discussed or, or it's prompted thinking of something else that we didn't cover directly. Think of that one thing and make a commitment right now. I would encourage you to write it down. Make your commitment that in the next week you will apply that change. A lot of this seems to be sparked by that original 360-degree feedback session that you had do you recommend to your clients that that is a valuable tool for them to to learn what to prioritize and what needs improvement? 360-degree reviews are a very valuable tool. I will caution you that the results you get are not going to be pretty. Most most likely, you're probably going to hear what what is going to come across as, as potentially very negative feedback. So be ready for that. I would say, though, when, when I do culture surveys for clients, when they, they've shared concerns about, say, several employees have quit and, and what's going on, in that case, I'll do a culture survey. It's an anonymous survey looking at what's working and what's not working. One of the questions I'll ask the employees anonymously is, on a scale of zero to 10, how likely do you think so-and-so, the CEO, is to act on this advice? And that response and that range of responses is very telling. Uh, oftentimes, people are like, well, uh, really confident. I mean, sometimes it's, well, you know, they hired you to do this, so we're pretty confident. Uh, but other times, people will say, I don't know. You know, I, the things I'm sharing are things that I've told them before, and they haven't acted on it. So I don't know why they change now. Only ask for feedback if you're willing to consider it and then and then act on it. And I think that, that all ties back to, to what you're talking about before. It's almost regardless of the way you get the feedback, find something that is really pressing. Find something, a piece of advice that you've given today in the book, in the podcast, whatever, and find something and just get started with it. Because I know for me personally, a lot of people I work with, it, you, it's very difficult to just try to say like, all right, I'm going to change everything about the way I manage my team starting today and try to implement a dozen different tools, tactics, whatever. In picking one, ideally one of the more pressing issues and just focusing on that until you get it down before going to the next step is just, in my opinion, a better, more consistent path to actually achieving success rather than burning out in a month and going back to how you already were. I think that's part of the reason why New Year's resolutions typically do not work. You know, people try to make an enormous change that requires really multiple habit changes and expect that it's going to work right away. It, it does work for some people, but not for, for many. And one way to get there is a tool I've created called an advanced retrospective. 
that's where you write about the future as if it's already happened. The nice thing about that tool, and I can share a link for the show notes, is you can work backwards from there and figure out what it's going to take to get there. And because that's the thing is that it, so many people, their goals are just that ultimate end goal without considering all the steps that need to be taken along the way. So sometimes through just sheer willpower, you can make some good strides, but it's just so much to do at once that it's very likely to fail. But when you can break it down in, into individual steps and say, all right, this is what I'm focusing on now. Once I have this down, it's the next step and the next step and so on. It just drastically increases your chance of success. Yes. No, so I'll make sure to get that linked up in the show notes. And before we say goodbye, I'd like to ask all of my guests a few rapid-fire questions. I'm going to ask the questions quickly, but your responses don't need to be short. And so the first one is just, what do you spend too much time doing? Hmm. I, I apparently spend too much time thinking. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think you don't spend enough time doing? Is there something in your business that you feel like you've neglected or that you need to put more resources behind? Separate from my business, I I could benefit from working out more. That That's definitely not a, a fun activity for me. I, I admire the people who just love going to the gym. I, I've never quite identified the, the supposed runner's high. Yeah. I was just at Disney for their half marathon with my girlfriend and her friends, and I am not the runner in the couple. And they were all trying to get me to sign up for next year. And they were talking about how great it feels. It's like, no, like I've, I've run before. I don't enjoy it. And it's just like, I, I wish I did. But I, so I'm right there with you on that one. Well, and, and find what works for you. You know, I, I, I don't enjoy running, but I do like walking. So I walk. It, it's not quite the same impact as running, but. It's something though. Yeah. Yeah. To tie it back into to managing and all of these things. Not every single solution as written out by somebody is going to work for you. So it's understanding the principles and finding what does work for you and adapting it to your circumstances. Yes. And so the last question is just, what does the next year look like for Sekis and company? I'm looking forward to helping more clients. At this point, I've worked with over 200 agencies in 25 countries on six continents. I, I do not have any clients in Antarctica. As, as soon as the penguins start an agency, I will be there there to advise them on making better better decisions. Uh, certainly that, that they should get paid in, in cash, not in fish. One of the things that I'm doing from a speaking perspective, I do a lot of public speaking, focusing my speaking on events that are specifically tailored to agency audiences. I've done a lot of speaking this year to a mix of agency and non-agency audiences. Uh, we'll still do some of those mixed audience events, but ultimately focusing on national agency-level conferences, help get the word out, and hopefully make life easier for agency owners wherever they are. Carl, so we've been talking a ton about Made to Lead, your book, your pocket guide. Honestly, I got it right when I saw it. It was out there. There's great stuff in there. You covered a lot of it today. But it's really great to just have on hand and to go into some of the, the things that we didn't talk about. And so before the show, we talked about a potential giveaway for this book. So do you want to speak to that? Yeah, absolutely. I will send a free copy of Made to Lead to you wherever you are in the world. Uh, even if you are in Antarctica, I will figure out how Almost to get it to you. Almost especially if they're there. Yes, yes. <laughs> that, that 
I, I especially want to hear from you. Uh, but, you know, l- how about this? Uh, let's say that uh, making a comment on the blog post tied into into today's episode, if you want to pick a random commenter, uh, get them my, or, you know, coordinate contact info, I will send you a copy of the book free of charge wherever you are in the world. Awesome. That's so generous of you, Carl. I really do hope it's someone from Antarctica so we can check that last little box from you. If people don't win this, if you don't win, you can still go to Amazon, pick up the book, and I would strongly recommend you do that. There's a ton of great tidbits in there to help anyone become a more effective manager. But the last thing before we say goodbye, Carl, you have a ton of other resources out there to help agency owners in all different areas of their business. For people to get access to those resources, to hear more from you, where is the best place for them to go? Visit my website, sakusandcompany.com. You can sign up for my newsletter with free tips on leading and running an agency. I have a number of articles available there free of charge. When you sign up for my newsletter, you will also get a free copy of my ebook, Don't Just Make the Logo Bigger, Taking Clients from Painful to Profitable. I love the title for that. And just so listeners are aware, it's S-A-K-A-S and company.com. So Carl, thank you so much for the time today. I'm going to make sure to get all of those resources linked up in the show notes for everybody. But again, I just want to say thanks for coming on the show. It was a lot of fun chatting. Andy, great to be here. Thanks. Good management is simple, but it's not easy. While a lot of Carl's advice may seem obvious, if you're being honest with yourself, you probably aren't implementing much of it. Instead of avoiding managing, commit to deliberately improve your management abilities. By making this commitment to follow Carl's simple advice, you'll make progress towards eliminating drama, meeting your long-term goals, standing out in the increasingly competitive market, and frankly, you'll make life better for you and your employees. If you could use some help here, head to Amazon and pick up a copy of Carl's book, Made to Lead. Carl was generous enough to offer a free copy of the book to one lucky commenter, so to enter for your chance to win, head over to the show notes for this episode over at blog.hubstaff.com and leave a comment highlighting your biggest takeaway. Then in two weeks from now, we will randomly pick one of the commenters and ship them a copy of the book anywhere in the world. That's all I have for you this week. If you enjoyed the show and learned something, head over to iTunes and leave a review. Tell me what you learned. I love hearing from listeners and positive reviews help us grow our audience. So if you can take a second to do that, I'd really appreciate it. And don't forget, if your agency is looking to hire remote contractors, maybe even looking for a few extra projects and are tired of paying huge fees to Upwork, head over to talent.hubstaff.com and create a profile. It's 100% free. Talk to you next week. See ya. See ya.